Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. First up, my colleague at The Athletic, the senior NBA writer Sam Amick. And we get into Sam's piece, could LeBron James actually retire? Seems unlikely, but the leverage game may have begun. We talk about what a post-LeBron NBA universe might look like as far as content, as far as viewership in the NBA. Talk a little bit, excuse me, talk about a little bit about the Nuggets in the NBA Finals. I'm one who believes, maybe against conventional wisdom, that there's going to be more interest in a Nuggets Finals than you might, uh, than you might think about. And then finally, just LeBron as in my opinion, the most successful 21st century athlete, just given that he came up in a social media age. So Sam Amick to start. He is followed by LaChina Robinson, who is a longtime WNBA analyst and does exceptional work when it comes to that sport. We talk about the WNBA's great start with Brittany Griner's return game. Massive, massive viewership for that league in relation to what previous season openers have done on ESPN. We talk about the, the many people who are now covering the league, and both of us have seen an uptick just in terms of content, really a big uptick in the last uh, 12 months and what that means, and then just carving out a career, covering women's basketball as uh, LaChina Robinson has done. If you like these kind of conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. And without further ado, let's get uh, Sam to start. And then followed by LaChina, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very pleased to be joined by my colleague at The Athletic, Sam Amick, who is a senior NBA writer. If you're an NBA fan, you have certainly read his work over the years. Uh, Sam, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I appreciate you coming on. We're going to do basically uh, a short segment here, and it's going to be very LeBron James specific. Please don't get mad at me. The Nuggets are a great story. All right. I'm not not knocking the Nuggets here. It's just um, Sam wrote a really interesting piece uh, on The Athletic. The headline was, could LeBron James actually retire? Seems unlikely, but the leverage game may have begun. I think like Sam, I don't expect LeBron to retire at all. But Sam, I bring you in because I'm just I'm so fascinated by the post LeBron world in the NBA and what that might look like viewership wise, content wise. He's been such a dominant force in our lives for so long. Um, very big picture if you can. And I realize I'm not holding you to this if you're not right, but what do you think like the con the NBA content world looks like in a post LeBron James universe? Richard, thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Um, I mean, it, it was wild to hear him even hint or allude to that post LeBron universe the other night in that press conference. And like you said, you know, we are talking about 20 years in which this one particular transcendent player has dominated so much of the conversation. In fact, you know, as you've seen these West finals encapsulate that perfectly, you've got Nuggets coach, Michael Malone, almost on a daily basis, complaining about the fact that even though his team is, you know, playing at a superior level and, doing all kinds of things that deserve to be dominating the conversation that sure enough, and, and I'm, you know, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I wrote about LeBron on the night that the Nuggets won the West. Um, you know, what does it look like after LeBron? You know, I, I don't know what direction to take that conversation where my mind goes is uh, it's unclear. There's all kinds of young superstars in the NBA space that, that are worthy of, 
you know, of, of kind of filling that void, not one guy, as we know with recent headlines and current events, you know, one American born player that was showing a lot of promise to, to be a big part of the conversation. John Morant has, has been, you know, killing his own brand and his image lately. Um, so, I mean, LeBron is, is that unique unicorn of having met the expectations on the court and then built, you know, who he is off the court to such a degree that, uh, that, that there's nobody like him. You know, like I, I, I understand where Michael Malone is coming from. And I also think there's always value in making it an us against the world kind of thing. Yep. You know, human beings can, can, can focus on two different things at once, right? You can focus on the brilliance of the nuggets and also like pay attention to the fact that the biggest sports store, sports star in American society in the 21st century, maybe, you know, has hinted for the first time ever at a retirement thing. Like to me, like two things can happen. I, I, you know, I know this gets into very much like, uh, you know, NBA Twitter and NBA content, but like, you know, like we're, it's okay to focus on both because both are significant stories. It is. Although if you hit the rewind button, uh, go back to game one, Nikola Jokic has a fantastic night and, the Lakers were the conversation. They put Rui Hachimura on Jokic for the fourth quarter of that game. And and the narrative in a lot of places was, did the Lakers find something? And that is what began Malone's complaints. I will say, uh, and this is the perfect platform because, and I am a loyal listener to the pod and I'll always love what you do, is <laughs> from a media standpoint, and I say this only half-kiddingly, like I have felt like in this particular series that, that Michael Malone and specifically the folks at ESPN and maybe specifically the Kendrick Perkins of the world, like they need to get in a room and work out their issues because what Malone is reacting to, in my opinion, is largely, you know, the commentary from a handful of folks. Um, I gave him, I mean, I gave him a hard time after game one, both in print, so to speak, and in person uh, and said, you know, Michael, uh, I I wrote 1600 words on Jokic after game one. You know, I, I, I think my focus was where you would have wanted it to be, but that's not what he's reacting to. That's a great, you know what, like, and again, like this is just the realities of, you know, modern sports media, but so often, um, athletes, coaches, franchises are reacting to a very small sliver of television opinionists where, and I get it. Like, I know that's prominent and outsized and usually loud. But there are people like you, like, every day who are sort of in the trenches, like, writing thoughtful, deep stuff. And, like, it's, again, and again, I'm not blaming Michael Malone, who I think is a brilliant coach. But, like, um, if you're reacting to, like, what somebody said on first take or, you know, one of ESPN's, like, or Fox Sports 1's, like, um you know, debate shows, it's, it's, it's such an infinitesimal, um, part of the media capital of sports media, right? Capital S capital M. Right. Um, so like, I guess I, I here, how would I say this, Sam? Micah Malone is smart enough to know that is what I would say. And you kind of wish that at least the smart people out there kind of recognize that it's a very, very small slice and it's intentionally designed to get you to react or to or to provoke you into a reaction well yes couldn't agree more i will also say richard you already hit the nail on the head a few moments ago when you talked about the us against the world mentality like that is michael's personality that is how he's wired i even joked with a nuggets official about the whole column thing like hey i guess you didn't read the Jokic column huh and 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 they had laughed and they said oh come on you, you know he's, he's he doesn't care about the positive stuff like he's going to gravitate to the negative stuff because that's what fuels his team. And, and really they, they haven't seen a lot of the national media, myself included for a lot of the season. So it's had this hilarious vibe of like, all right, we've been waiting six months to talk to y'all. You know what I mean? Like I made one trip to Denver this year and, and I'm probably around them a little bit more than most national people, but um, you know, they've, they've been, you know, doing their little victory lap here and, and well-deserved. All right. So I, you know, I, I, I tweeted this out. And and I believe it to be the case. If the Heat can get past the Celtics, and by the way, I probably shouldn't have been so like assured of thinking that that was going to be the the case at some point. It's as we taped this, it's three one. I I still would not expect the Heat to 
blow a 3-0 lead. But series goes back to Boston. If they if they win that game, it's 3-2, and it's real interesting. And I hope they win that game because I think just as a sports story, that's interesting. But, Sam, I, I'm one who believes like the Nuggets Heat NBA Finals is going to do better viewership-wise than maybe conventional wisdom sits. And conventional wisdom says that, like, you know, Miami's never been a great television team. Denver is basically, you know, in the middle of nowhere. It's not Lakers Celtics. The series is going to bomb viewership wise. But I think, I don't know. I think there's something to be said about Jokic on a national final stage as a, as a multiple time MVP that could get some casual fans interested in addition to the hardcore NBA fans who will watch this. So it it's not great in terms of the traditional dynamics for television in terms of like market size or or uh, traditional franchises that do well. But I don't know. I have a weird feeling that this is going to do better than expected, particularly if it goes long. I know you're not a quote-unquote sports television writer, but from your NBA perspective, what do you think of that series in terms of national interest? I mean, I think the league itself, if it does you know, pop a little more than they anticipated. I think it would be great for them. And and this I say in the context of the LeBron conversation is that, you know, the league and, and the fact that it's been, you know, such a intense focus on the stars and the bigger markets for so long, I think it would be healthy for the league if a Denver Miami series did well in the finals. Yeah. And great. I think that it, again, if you, you want to have that discussion about the post LeBron landscape in the NBA, uh, you know, you can have a two-track approach where, of course, you continue to elevate the right superstars, the right young players, and try to fill that void. There's not going to be one person that fills it. But then you you cannot lose the connectivity between all those small markets and the mainstream. And and it's, you know, that is something where I think the league has been a little bit out of whack for a while. And And it does, even beyond the television side, there's this domino effect on the rest of the media industry where, you know, you and I, we just talked offline a little bit about, you know, the data part of our jobs and where you are constantly aware of what stories get read and which ones don't, you know, I can tell you from my little corner of the market that, that's, you know, the disparity is vast. It, it's dispiriting at times because you want to be like, you know, I've heard you reference a journalist with a capital J and follow the right stories and reflect what you should reporting wise, but then you will write about, to be honest in the past, the nuggets are one where you write what you feel like is a strong piece about them. And then you go, Oh boy, nobody read that thing. You know what I mean? Like that, that imbalance, uh, you know, maybe could be aided by a finals like that. And TV wise, you're right. I don't have great instincts for that aspect of it. Um, But I, but I think it would be great for the league if, if it did well. Yeah, and listen, the realities are there are certain people in all our beats uh, that pop, and such is such will always be the case. You know, the hope is that you do get um, you get some stories that maybe were underplayed for a long time that eventually pop. You know, one one sort of story in my world, um, and obviously I have an affinity for it because I covered it Sports Illustrated, but it's been great to see women's basketball now start to get some really really big numbers, particularly the women's college game where for a long time, like if you wrote that or covered that, you know, you might not get the kind of uh, page views that you would get if you wrote about, yeah, whatever, you know, LeBron or Tom Brady, et cetera. Um, So I'm with you. I think it would be healthy if that series did well. I think, uh, you know, speaking as a sort of sports television person, I think length would be really, really important. You'd want that series to go uh, six or seven because I think that's when you can get – um, a significant pop in viewership. I want to ask you just one more thing about LeBron. Um, I have this sort of thesis. I don't think it's any genius take by me. But given, Sam, that he came up in an age of social media, in an age of uh, technology, in an age of streaming, in an age of sort of the mass consumption of content, I find him to be the most successful athlete in my lifetime and the most successful athlete in the 21st century. Because by and large, he was able to succeed at the absolute highest levels without really being taken down by the all-encompassing all um, sort of like social mediaization that, that athletes in LeBron's uh, station have to focus. Um, that's independent of the fact that obviously he's one of the two or three greatest players of, of all time. I, I just 
I can't sort of marvel at his career enough because unlike Michael Jordan, who obviously both of us saw him was a great player, Michael Jordan didn't have to deal with like one-tenth of what LeBron had, has to deal with in terms of the content play. And I wonder if you've just ever thought of that in terms of LeBron's success amid um, being what, what a star athlete means in 2023 versus what a star athlete might have meant in like 1987 or something like that. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's a completely different ecosystem that both LeBron and Michael to kind of focus on the two goats, what they went through is night and day. And I'm with you on the appreciation for LeBron's career, what he's built, what he's done. Uh, what I like about it is that we're not talking about a 20 year love affair between LeBron and the public and the media. That would be, I mean, listen, we're, we're storytellers like that would be boring, right? Uh, it's been compelling. A lot of the conflict, a lot of the, the, you know, darker times for LeBron, if you will, nothing incredibly dark, but you know, they were earlier on, they were finding his way in Cleveland facing criticism. You know, this guy is pretty special, but can he get the job done? The ill-fated finals against the Mavericks, questions after that is he the best player in the world and the Miami decision you know I, I love looking back on it how you know the I, the journey from there to all the way to the press conference the other night has had all these peaks and valleys but it has ascended and that's where I think he deserves so much credit is that it's ascended on the court and off the court you know a lot of the stuff he's done uh, all over the world but specifically in his old Akron community is just remarkable and, you know, but he's always going to be, he, he's himself, he's imperfect. He is open to criticism. Uh, the other night he, he, he was very LeBron with his hinting of retirement. And yes, there's maybe some truth to it. Not maybe, I think his mind does go there, but it was also, I mean, wasn't that a classic LeBron moment? Yeah. Leave, leave it's like a season finale of a great show. And then he leaves and you got to wait four months to figure out what the next episode. Right. And even more specifically, you know, I made the mistake uh, and I had to play catch up of leaving that press conference halfway through because it seemed fairly vanilla. And I had, and I, again, we talk about the nuggets. I had tried to go honor the victor and go to the Nuggets side. And as I come back, uh, that press conference with LeBron had just ended. And Richard, you would have loved, because you kind of traffic in this stuff, you would have loved seeing the vibe uh, after the press conference because all the reporters were buzzing. And, you know, you had a few guys tracking LeBron down, David uh, McMenamin from ESPN, Chris Haynes, were, you know, trying to pursue that LeBron storyline even more. I remember talking to Melissa Rowland from FoxSports.com, and she had asked the question, uh, of LeBron that ultimately got the answer in the press conference and, and her head was spinning a bit, at least in terms of like, wow, like what just happened? Um, and, and that was, that's kind of the power of LeBron is that he knows his voice. He sat up there contemplating, what am I going to say? And sometimes he's hit the mark, you know, the other night was fine. Nothing wrong with it. Sometimes he has it. You go back to the decision, which he has since admitted that it was botched, you know, uh, going to the boys and girls club outside of New York and things of that nature. But, um, you know, the guy's reputation is in a very good place. His career is one of a kind, and, and it has been fun to watch. Last one for me. Um, you're Are you still based around the Sacramento area? I am, yep. Uh, now that the Kings obviously are uh, have become very, very good and a real factor, I wonder, like, is there, like, how much value for is it for someone, like, in your position to live in a city where the, where the, where the team's relevant as opposed to if the team is not relevant? It was honestly fun um, from the human standpoint of I've spent a lot of years treating the Kings home arena, whether it's Arco Arena or Golden One Center, uh, as my home office, which just, you know, from a regular life standpoint, giving you the ability to not be on the road all the time and to go get your work done in an NBA arena. But, but I like the game of basketball. I enjoy the game of basketball. And there were so many years where, it was kind of a slog to go out to the Kings games, knowing that I'm going to try to always connect with, you know, especially when the Kings, all those years they were bad. Like I'm not talking to the Kings players. I'm not talking to the Kings coaches. I'm going to get the other team. And the game itself was beyond an afterthought. It was in kind of a, an unwelcome part of the program, if that makes sense. Like it, the games weren't good. They lost all the time. And, uh, this year was so different. It was neat to to shift the attention on a lot of nights towards, wow, okay, let me go ahead and write about the Kings. Let me see what they're doing. And 
And as they know, I mean, all of, we talk about stories that pop and choices you make journalistically, you know, my most successful King stories for the past five years at the athletic have all been stories that captured their dysfunction and, you know, the mistakes they had made this year was different. Uh, it was a fun ride to cover, you know, it made the playoffs a little more manageable for me. I got to see my, my wife and kids a little more than I had in years past. And uh, although I'll be honest, the, these are first world problems, but the, the new challenge was filing, you know, staying up, filing a story at two or three in the morning and realizing that you're not sleeping in in a hotel room, you're getting up with your kids at six 30. So that was a little tough, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was a fun ride. Sam Amick is a senior NBA writer for the athletic, uh, check out his pieces on the site, follow him on, uh, Twitter. Uh, the, uh, the NBA obviously is heading towards his finals, but, uh, the, there's really no off season anymore for Sam, you know, whether he'll be there for summer league or whether he's figuring out what, uh, what teams do, what with, um, uh, you know, prior to the season in terms of potential trades and certainly coaching hires, Sam will be all over it. Sam, it's, uh, it's great to catch up with you, man. And, continued success at The Athletic, and thank you for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. Likewise. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right. As I said at the top, excited to have this guest. She's been on this podcast before. LaChina Robinson joined ESPN originally in 2009 as a college basketball analyst and reporter. If you are a women's basketball fan, particularly a WNBA fan, you certainly know who she is and recognize her work. You see her on WNBA coverage, WNBA playoffs, the WNBA draft. For many, many years, she worked in women's college basketball, so you might see her on some Final Four kind of programs. She's the host of the ESPN YouTube show Around the Rim. Also has her own SiriusXM podcast, Huge Fan, which she can talk about. And then finally, she is one of the broadcasters for the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA on Bally's Sports South. And play, boy, it's, a, it's like a five-year uh, exodus to get your all your uh, all your big promotion now, <laughs> LaChina. And I am pleased to be joined by LaChina Robinson, uh, one of the great people in women's basketball. Welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast, LaChina. Thanks, Richard. It's always great to be with you. I, I feel like you and I are part of the pioneer crew of covering women's basketball. You a little more so than me, than you know. So, but it's always great to uh, reconnect, LaChina. You're so charming in a way to say one, I'm older than you, and two, that you're not as. Uh, <laughs> You're not as withered as myself. So there you go. Uh, but yes, I do. I can. I remember actually, I couldn't remember the city, but I remember seeing China Robinson at like many like women's basketball kind of conferences or outings. And she was always uh, grinding away. It's pretty hard not to recognize her. She's like a striking six foot three, six four woman. And so um, uh, it's very cool to see her uh, continuing to succeed uh, on now major, major platforms like ESPN's WNBA coverage. All right. Let's get into it a little bit. So, Brittany Griner's return game, which, by the way, tipped at 11.20 or so Eastern time, um, draws the highest opening weekend game for ESPN in the history of the league. There obviously was interest in Griner, I think, beyond just uh, uh, WNBA fans La China. But again, this continues these, like to me, data points of Iowa LSU, nearly 10 million viewers for the Women's College Basketball Championship Final. The Final Four, including South Carolina, et cetera, was looking at over $5 million. WNBA was up this year. WNBA gets a big pop in terms of their opening weekend. Like, very big picture. Again, 
I keep thinking we're getting all these now viewership data points to show that the growth of interest in women's basketball is real and sustained and defining. How do you see it? I see it the same way. It's skyrocketing. And for those of us that have covered the sport for a long time, it's exciting, quite honestly, Richard. Um, I feel like we're in a time where over the last couple of years, we're always getting these emails of, hey, we had the most watched game since... 2004 or this is the most watched draft or you know our, our viewership has gone up 30 something percent like we're getting those notifications all the time and it's like wow like what we believed about this sport is actually starting to show in the data points and you know how important that is not only for getting more viewership windows more primetime opportunities but also in, in terms of investments um you know when you when you think about wanting to get sponsors to to grow even what we have happening now in our sport they want to see the numbers. They want to see that the people are there. They want to see that the attendance is up and all the metrics are moving in the right direction to indicate that women's basketball is a worthy investment. It's not a charity. This is a place where money can be made, where there's revenue opportunity. And, uh, you know, it, it's just been so awesome to watch the spike, but also the number of people who are now clamoring to be a part of this sport. I mean, you and I, uh, there's been many Final Fours where, you know, some aspects of it, not the games itself, but um, were undercovered or stories that weren't being told along the way. And now we see just a tremendous amount of interest in not only watching and consuming women's basketball, but also working uh, with the sport in terms of the media coverage and in various aspects. This would be more anecdotal. Uh, when, you, you know, you're someone who really, really prepares, you read a lot. You have knowledge, obviously, of every team in the league. Um, from my own place, like I know the athletic has expanded when it comes to women's basketball coverage, and there are just, in terms of sheer numbers, more stories on the WNBA. When you're doing your research, LaChina, or even like if you're doing something with ESPN and they probably provide you with like some great research, like are you seeing more like coverage from daily newspapers or from uh, independent writers and bloggers because anecdotally it feels like there's more but i think you'd have a better sense of it than me there's definitely an uptick and there's a direct correlation in my mind between the growth in the grassroots media aspect of women's basketball and what we're seeing overall in this sport and i thought about this like just even coming into our conversation and a lot of it starts with the importance of social media when it comes to women's sports in general but in particular women's basketball and that it's it's been a space twitter has been a place for women's basketball fans to come for those and, and learn more about the sport and to follow their favorite player and to get reminders that there's a game coming on. Like you're not going to see it on a billboard. You may not see it on a commercial every five seconds, but someone on Twitter is going to be talking about women's basketball, someone on these platforms. So it starts with that. It's also streaming. So technology and, and social media have had a lot to do with it. But I sat down to think about what we did not have when it came to women's basketball coverage that we have now. And I feel like our record keeping, our history, um, the storytelling has come such a long way because if it wasn't Mel Greenberg or M.A. Vopel or Doug Feinberg or Shell Coward at the event, there were so many things happening around this sport that you would not know. And so it kind of started with, the, with that group. But what we've seen over time is, okay, the hoop feed and how we were all getting information there or Swish Appeal kind of, I feel like has, has been there for a while in covering women's basketball. But then now we're, we're digging into the numbers. So you have like her hoop stats and across the timeline, a great site run by uh, Aaron run her, runs her hoop stats and Curtis runs across the timeline and they're giving, you know, real time salary cap information that we used to not have. Um, you know, they're giving um, the historical context around performances on a nightly basis in our sport. And then you look the fact that we did not have newsbreakers in, in in terms of free agency signing. So you've got Christina Williams and Rachel Galligan, and I'm going to leave a whole lot of people out, but you'll, you'll understand what I'm trying to say here. Um, but to your point, there's now beat writers for teams, Miles Ehrlich, who covers the Liberty or Dorothy Gentry for in Dallas or Kareem Copeland, who covers, um, you know, the Washington Mystics. There's a W slam now. There was no women's basketball slam 10 years ago. You know, so Camille started that and you've got, you know, Ari Chambers at Highlighters, Windsider, um, The Next with Howard Megdal's group. I mean, these are all entities that have now come along and come together 
and have brought significant coverage to this sport that that didn't exist. And again, I know I'm leaving a lot of people out. You mentioned the athletics. There's just the athletic. There's just women's sports like. Can you imagine like the if we really did a study on where women's basketball media has gone in, in the last, I would even say seven or eight years, I mean, it's skyrocketed. And so that has added to the fandom because now fans can stay in a know. They have more storytelling, more information. Um, they understand more about how this league works and, and the players and the players have done a great job, too, in building their um, you know, their brands via social media, they're taking control of that through their social handles. So we're learning more about them. So it's just this perfect storm. Um, in addition to, you know, ESPN giving more, um, more shine in every way, countdown shows, you know, um, adding our all-star game this year to primetime. I mean, it takes a lot of things, Richard, but you get what I'm saying. This is exciting for me. I do. That this is exciting. Yeah, no, that's great. The, the you, I'm really glad you made. First of all, you you would absolutely um have a better uh name recognition of all the people you mentioned. I've certainly heard of them all, but those some of the names you mentioned, actually not some, all of the names you mentioned, are the ones who are really grinding day to day in different kinds of ways to bring um content. And you're so right. Whether it's like uh, newsbreaker analysis, whether it's like the financials now. Um, you know, even like, uh, what's interesting now is you've seen pl people move from one place to another. I'll give you like a perfect example, just because I happen to know, cause it was my place. Hannah Withiam is now the senior managing editor of just, um, women's sports has a major like, uh, editorial role there at the Hillary Rosen's place. You know, she used to work at the athletic. Now she moves over, has like more of a senior management uh, position can, can bring people over, um, you mentioned Rachel Galligan. I know that Lindsay uh, D'Arcangelo works, uh, does a lot of stuff for just women's sports as well. So that's like how this stuff, you know, Howard Magdalene mentioned is a total pioneer in this stuff. That That's how this stuff is growing. And I'm glad you, you shouted them out because like, um, you're right. Once upon a time, it's so interesting. Like that you mentioned like Doug Feinberg, of the AP and Mel Greenberg's pretty famous. Emmy Vopal of ESPN, but you're like, that was the, the, the conduit of an S like someone like, Sports Illustrated, like we'd pop in just for the finals. Like, you know, we wouldn't be doing it on a day to day basis. So I'm glad you mentioned all those people. The, um, because th the media element has changed. It gets me to my next question for you. I just, um, covered the WNBA game in Toronto, which was a sellout, um, which by all indications from talking to people in the league was an absolute home run. I think they were even surprised at the, um, at the, the turnout and interest. Um, when you look around, uh, what markets do you think the league can come in and be a success? The one thing you don't want to do is go into a market and for things not to work. But um, are there a couple of cities that you think if they expand in the next year or so, like everything is there, including the media coverage? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I've even thought about expansion in terms of the media coverage. But, um, you know, what's interesting is you would think that markets where there is an NBA team that that would be helpful, but I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at the research. I, I don't know that that's been a conduit in terms of any success because it feels like the Bay Area. Though, I was going to say, word, yeah, word. I was going to say. So, but and and, I, and I'm speaking in terms of like what happened with the Sacramento Monarchs uh, folding, which you know the Monarchs, the <laughs> the Kings the, haven't had a great deal of success, or like the Houston Rockets with the Comets. Like those are situations that I think are different, but. Yes, I will. I think Toronto, number one, they totally earned it. They showed us what they're capable of merchandise show selling out viewership, um, you know, sell out venue and then the Bay. You know, I mean, you would have to really look at the the energy in that place around women's basketball. Um, I think when you start to think about the price point of what it probably takes to run a team in that market, <laughs> that's I'm sure where things get a little bit complicated, but there's also more. Um, capital there, if you will, just because, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, there's a lot of things there existing, um, a lot of big time investors, and obviously the Warriors are doing a lot of things right. Um, and, and so, yeah, that would be another place. Um, you know, I, I think of it a little bit more 
in terms of like, where is women's basketball supported? Because I still have this dream of there being this full circle support from college women all the way around to the pros. So we have the Atlanta dream in the Southeast, but I kind of feel like we can still have another team in this market. When you look at the viewership for women's basketball, Louisville is always there. Um, Knoxville is always there. Um, I've always selfishly wanted the Charlotte Sting to come back because that was where I I watched my first WNBA game. So I think the Southeast with where the SEC is moving and trending in women's basketball and the history of the ACC, I think this area could afford a, another team. What, what about Nashville? Do you think that would be what kind of city? I mean, it's uh, fairly close to Knoxville, but not, yeah. you know, not not exactly next door but that that would seem you know that's an sec city a lot of people are moving yeah, there i like, I like Nashville. Um, a lot of culture a lot of attended, arts um yeah, some like sec tournaments and a final four i'm pretty sure in nashville that were out of this world um i think nashville is just a perfect sports city in general so yeah i think that's in close enough proximity even for for fans to come from knoxville and um for them to build some synergy there but those are those are some of my initial thoughts but i'm sure there's so many other things that Commissioner Kathy Engelbert is looking at folks want a team in Philly. They want, you know, I mean, the fans, of course, are, are wanting Portland is another yes. one where the, the yeah, people want Portland's team another there one. So it's an ongoing conversation, but I do think it needs to happen sooner rather than later. I agree. Um, you are somebody who um, for many, many years has had to uh, and you're still doing it. You had to sort of have multiple jobs in order to um, forge your career in women's basketball coverage. You know, as you me- as I mentioned earlier at the top, you're still working for ESPN. You're working for Bally's. You have your SiriusXM podcast. Um, have you found in 2023, is the market doable better for someone like you who wants to have a career in women's basketball? I think if we had this conversation, honestly, in like 2012 or 2010, honestly, maybe like you're the only one who could who could have pulled... Like you have like a, you know, you're able to pay your mortgage within the women's basketball media ecosystem. It does feel that that dream for a lot of people is a little better today. I'm not still saying you got to struggle. I'm not saying you're going to be a millionaire or anything, but it does feel like there's more entities now to have that kind of career. You're really a pioneer in this. How, what, what, where do you see the landscape in 2023? It's better in terms of the entry opportunities, but it's still not where it needs to be when it comes to pay scale. Um, and we can still use even more opportunities. But I, I think back to when I started, I was probably doing four or five games a week. And keeping in mind, I was working for the Big Ten Network and Fox and CBS Sports and doing some ESPN and you know across the board just to stay afloat because no one, either the network didn't have enough women's basketball to bring me in full time, or they weren't going to pay me enough to go, you know, to have a full-time deal with, with one network. Like I've worked for (laughs) so many different, oh God, it's crazy. Like that's not even half the list work for Turner for a while. So um, it's gotten better in that I am living a dream right now and being able to just focus on the WNBA. I I never saw this happening. Now, I loved my 15 years in covering college women's basketball, but it was a grind. Like I said, four or five games a week of college women. That wasn't my WNBA schedule, but of college women's basketball is a lot. Um, and, And so now we're at a point where there's more WNBA content. And honestly, I've bet on this league and saying, I'm just going to put my time into the W, become an expert in this space. And I see more media companies getting on board. I really see that, Richard. And I hope it happens so that um, there's more for everyone because I know a lot of really hardworking people who love this sport and have full-time jobs and are doing this on the side for little to nothing. I mean, I think about Around the Rim podcast, for example, where Tariq and I were doing this out of our pockets. We weren't, many people don't realize we're in year eight. We didn't get paid to do this podcast. We were doing it because we loved it. And we put our own money into the marketing and to, to all of those other things. But that's because we knew how important these conversations were. So I, I, I'm for, I feel fortunate to be in the position that I am in, but God knows I am one of a few. And 
I just want to take this opportunity to acknowledge the people that I know aren't getting paid for their blood, sweat and tears the way they should. And to shame some of the media entities that refuse to open the doors and the entry opportunities and the coverage for women's basketball and for the WNBA, because there are a lot of really, really talented people who should be getting paid a lot of money for what they do. Have you been able to do this um, without an agent or or have you used an agent when it comes to all the multiple uh, television things that you've done? So I have been my own agent for a majority of my career. Um, I've been in this about 16 years um, and I would say about 12 of the 13 of those were without an agent. I did sign with Nicole Lynn back in 2020, I believe, might have been 2019. So I have had an agent, but for a long time, Richard, no one was interested. I talked to several agents about my interest in women's basketball. And because we don't get paid as much as other sports, there just wasn't that 10% was not interesting for many of these agents. They weren't lining up outside my doors. Also, when it came to women's basketball, many agents didn't even understand how our sport worked when it came to, to the broadcasting side. It was like, OK, well, who do I contact? I knew all the people to contact. Like I, I could be my own agent because these guys just had had no interest. The money wasn't there. And so it was kind of like, eh, you know, if you ever decide to start doing NBA, call us. Um, but I'm grateful for Nicole and that no, she's not a broadcasting agent, but she is brilliant when it comes to contract negotiations. Um, she is is a complete student in this space and has jumped on and, and learned as much as she has as she could in this time that she and I have been working together. And obviously, I now have um, she's signed with Clutch and with uh, UTA since we've been working together, but we were working together prior to that. So now I am privy to some of the luxury of a larger agency, but this is new. Um, this is really new. Yeah. Um, by the way, the people who don't know Nicole Lynn, uh, I'll just name one of her clients for you. He's a, um, He's a player on the Philadelphia Eagles named Jalen Hurts, <laughs> yeah. who signed a $255 million contract. Yeah. So uh, Nicole Lynn um, basically uh, has one of the singular great clients in sports right now. And uh, yeah. I think I'm doing this off the top it, of my head. I, I'm fairly it, certain that's the, that's the highest contract in the history of the National Football League. Oh, 100%. And, and I'll say this. I'll say this right now, Richard. I, it's funny, Nicole always tells the story of her DMing Jalen, and that's kind of how they connected for her to become their agent. I, her become his agent, I DMed her. And again, this was, <laughs> this was prior to Clutch, prior shoot to your, Jalen. Shoot your shot. I, I, I DMed her and said, if you ever start taking broadcast clients, please call me. Like, I just saw so much alignment with who she is. And I've always wanted a black woman also to, as, as a representative. And so this was like rare air we were in. And here it is. Nicole's probably 10 years younger than I am, Richard. But when I tell you she's brilliant, obviously, you see how she's handled Jalen and so many of her other clients. I think she's the first black woman to have an NFL player drafted in the in the top three in the draft. So um, and to to represent now a, a quarterback in the Super Bowl. So I, I got very lucky. I, I got very lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. The, I mean, the one thing that I found in dealing with the many agents that I've talked to, Honestly, LaChina, it's one, like, do they, one, the best ones, like, do they believe in their client? Like, really believe in them, not just, like, see them as a paycheck. And the other thing, and this is why I'm sure Nicole uh, is phenomenal at what she does, the, the, what the people do, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, in your case, if it's broadcasting, mm -hmm. is kind of irrelevant. It, it, the, the, the larger point is if the agent can understand sort of the marketplace, see a couple steps ahead yes. in terms of what's out there. Like that's the brilliance of it. It's, 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 you can learn or research at least enough, like what the marketplace is, but you really just have to believe in your client. You have to sort of have a vision as to what they can do. Very true. Uh, because or a shared listen. vision. And that's why Nicole could represent any, I mean, N Nicole, I guarantee could represent, maybe she does like actors, actresses, painters, artists. It, it's the same process. Essentially. Absolutely. And, 
there is clearly not as much incentive in representing me as there is Jalen versus Jalen Hurts, right. of course. But to your point, she sees she sees a lot in me. She always has believed in me. There are certain types of clients that are near and dear to her. Like she wants to help to build the women's sports space. She wants to help to build me as a woman of color in this space. So there are other motivations to that. But she has been phenomenal, like literally career changing for me. Yeah, I always, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'll be the last one on this little point. I, I always, it always tells me something about certain agents if their original clients are with them when said agent has gotten like massive and big and is representing like the, you know, the uh, Kirk Herb Streets of the world or who, you know, whoever, or Al, uh, Al Michaels. Like that, that always tells me something because that tells me then you're not necessarily about money. Yeah. You're actually about yeah. people. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and so that's, that's cool to see. Cause you're, I mean, let's just be blunt. Like <laughs> the, 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 what you're making for Nicole <laughs> yeah. compared to like what Jalen Hurts is making. Like <laughs> she it's, spends on her, it's another she plan. She spends on her pedicures. That's basically what she right. gets from. <laughs> that's, so it's not really the point. The point is believing in people. Yeah. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, before you get out of here, um, what is your Sirius XM podcast that you're doing, uh, Huge Fan? Yeah, it's a really cool podcast. A podcast uh, called Huge Fan. And what we do is we basically interview celebrities, musicians, entertainers, actors, artists on their favorite sports teams. So we get the perspective of fandom from Ashley Judd, from Michael Buble, from um, you know, just so many different um celebrities. And it's honestly one of the most fascinating things I've ever done. Uh, it's amazing to hear these celebrities talk about their fandom, how far go it goes back in their family lineage, the things they've done to to make a playoff game, co- canceling concerts. Um, it is just, it's been one of the most fun things I've ever done. So it's it's really cool if folks get a chance to listen. Here, before we get out of here, actually, I do have one more for you. I, like, I'm a, I, I know we've had, We've had super teams before, like in some ways in both um, women's college basketball and the WNBA. Mm -hmm. I'm actually a believer that I think it's good for the sport. One, it gets people interested because there's a lot of stars on one team. And two, I think it incentivizes other teams, Mm -hmm. whether it's college teams or pro teams, to get better. We saw that with UConn. Uh, I think if you talk to the coaches, and I know you did over the years, like they would tell you that like uh, Oriama's like championships made them better, made them recruit better, made them get better facilities. And now look at the sport, you know, Don Staley's like won a couple championships. Obviously we saw Kim Mulkey at LSU. So how do you feel, you know, there's, there's right now, there's really sort of quote unquote, two super teams in the WNBA doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win, but I think this is great for the league because I think like as a casual basketball fan, like if the aces are on, I I just think like you might want to check that out because you've, you recognize four of like the five starting players. Yeah, I am enjoying the super team narrative. Um, to your point, there have been a lot of stacked teams over time, but the way these teams have come together is a reflection of one, the new B- the new CBA, um, you know, that came across in 2020, which is taking the number of Coring opportunities away from teams for star players is more money um, to go around. And so we're seeing just like historical movement. Um, and with that, this year in particular came two MVPs going to New York with John Quell Jones and, and Brian Stewart, Candace Parker on the move to Vegas. Uh, and, and it's great because rivalries is what builds sports leagues. You know, it was Lakers versus Celtics on the NBA side. Like this is something that fans are intrigued by and they can sink, sink their teeth into. But the other interesting thing it is doing, Richard, to your point, it's raising the bar. Because if you look at those two organizations in particular in Vegas and New York, their owners have come into this league and have have set the bar when it comes to facilities, to advocating publicly for things like charter flights, Mark Davis, Joe Sy, 
um, you know, they have said we we have the resources and we will spend it on these players, you know, and, and we will push for the CBA to allow us to do what needs to be done to treat these players in the right way. So what happens then? These markets become magnets and it is <laughs> it is wake up time for everyone else. All the rest of the owners in this league to say top talent is going to go where the investment is being made. Candace Parker, who was in what year 16, 17, somewhere around there, said this is the first time I've had my own locker. She's a two-time MVP, two-time champion, and Vegas has a facility where for the first time she has her own locker where she doesn't have to take her stuff when she leaves and she can, you know, and so all of those things are important to the super team conversation. And, um, it, it, but it's, it's been fun from a media standpoint. All right. Check out her work. LaChina Robinson, you can find on various ESPN platforms talking about the WNBA um, in terms of specifics, obviously, you can catch her on WNBA coverage. She is uh, the host of ESPN YouTube's Around the Rim. Catch her if you happen to have this or you're living in the Southeast on Bally Sports South doing Atlanta Dream Games. And then obviously she mentioned her SiriusXM podcast. Huge fan. Uh, listen, LaChina, it's always great to catch up with you. I, I cannot tell you how happy I am for your success. It's... Uh, it's just it's great to see on major platforms um and it's really a good great story of just somebody like in terms of meritocracy um sort of grinding working really hard and then getting rewarded with some uh prestige spots so thank you for uh joining me today on the sports media podcast and uh i will absolutely have you back maybe around uh the time we get the WNBA finals. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate your kind words. And it's for people like you who were covering the sport before I was that have, uh, you know, opened the door for, for this for me. So thank you so much. Right, once again, calling me old, China, but I'm going to let it go. Thank you. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> All right, back in the studio, my thanks to uh, Sam Amick and LaChina Robinson for their time and their insights. Head to the archives page. There should be some stuff you like. Previous one before this. Rolling Stone's chief television critic, Alan Sepinwall, on writing about succession, nailing series finals, and the Star Wars universe. Had Brian Curtis and Ben Strauss come on to talk about Pat McAfee's move to ESPN. Mark Shapiro, CEO and president of Endeavor, the uh, Hollywood entertainment and sports colossus. Peter King was on this podcast not too long ago. Daniel Jeremiah, Tim Layden, and Dana O'Neill on horse racing. Again, um, head to the archives. There should be some stuff that uh, fits for you. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13 and Odyssey for their support. And thank you most of all for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.